This podcast was recorded live on April 15th at 10 p.m. Things may have changed since the time of this recording. Please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. I am Samora, your host, and the fellas are here for another episode of SJH Man Cave. We are live on Facebook and looking forward to another fantastic conversation. You can follow our Facebook page at SJH Man Cave and our Facebook group at SJH Podcast Family to get notified when we're going live and engage in discussions we have throughout the week. You can also see our videos on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. And with all that being said, let's dive right in. And fellas, we we all kind of came up during the same time frame, all in college during the same few years. And so all of us became very, very accustomed to DMX's music. I'm sure we're all familiar with the fact that he unfortunately passed recently. Uh, Jason, I'll start with you. What was your reaction to hearing the news that the brother passed away? Uh, Not to be insensitive, but I thought he was already dead. Um, Wow. I know. Well, I I know he he got heavy into the whole drug thing and whatnot. So um, Mm -hmm. I had heard he had had a couple episodes and some issues and stuff. So. That's I figured, true. you know, I, and one of them was, I, I, I don't pay attention to the news a lot. Uh, so when I hear like little skips and beats and stuff about stuff, I just assume shit until somebody tells me something different or until I learn something different. Mm-hmm. So I'm always willing to say, hey, I'm wrong. But uh, it was upsetting. It was upsetting to see how how much it affected people. Not like I'm talking about like just like, straight up fans and stuff like that. I know folks enjoyed his music. I enjoyed his music. Hell, I shit the beginning, the beginning of my twenties and shit was DMX. So like, it was kind of cool to see like, like celebrities and stuff that he knew and who people that he hung out with and some of the shows and stuff he went on and like how, how people were affected by him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think that was pretty cool. I, I didn't realize he was that kind of a dude that people like really, Gravitated who, towards, who gravitated towards, and and got inspiration from, uh, and the majority of his music. I know people who have labeled like his music is like you know he well not just his music but like him personally like somebody who who thank God like personally like just for all his success and for his gifts and everything mm-hmm. that he had and stuff like that. But like just listening to his music, like I never I never got that impression of him. I just knew he was a dude that knew how to get the party started. That's the whole thing. He knew he knew how to get a big brother bouncing. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, like I was I was sad to hear that he had passed and I always have prayers for people and their loved ones who they when they miss somebody who's gonna not be in their lives and stuff anymore. But uh like personally, like it, it was just like, okay, well, that was that was part of my youth and stuff that's gone now, like many other things. <laughs> that I'm just totally starting to deal with now, now that I'm in my 40s. I'm sure he will not be the last. Hudson, what about you? Uh, I mean, in, uh, in at Chicago State in the dorms freshman year, I mean, it was all about belly. <laughs> it was all about the movie <laughs> belly. They, was, they, they could not stop playing that movie. and For good and, reason. You know, it, yes, it was a good movie. But a hundred times, you know, a hundred times and a hundred nights, it was uh, squeeze out one more. You know, it was I not mean, a good movie. 
It was a fantastic movie. Right. That right. opening, right. that opening right. with the with the blue light and the and the crazy eyes and the girls dancing and, and black skin has never looked better. Stop it. That Dude, was a great it was movie. like an all black hood Mississippi burning. It was great. Everybody was sweating all the it, time. It was like great. why was everybody glistening? It was I don't great. understand. Is that what they do in New York? Is that what it is? I don't understand why Hype Williams hasn't done another movie. The shiny people. That movie was terrible. It's just like any gangster movie. I'm just not a fan. First off, first off, okay, don't pretend like we weren't in clubs, you know, with with hot-ass gear on, sweating like motherfuckers. Come on. We try to take it off, you know. In the first scene, they in the club. Yeah, yeah, but in the second scene, they at their house. Just sitting around. <laughs> and just came from the club. His girl in the movie, she was constantly glistening for no reason. Because she, she just was cover a queen. herself in baby oil or what? Because she was a queen. She just naturally glistened on screen, brother. Is, is that what queens do? They just Man. glow? So you, Man. you cover them in baby oil so they can get the glow. That's, it's it's like kind of like Bruce Lee or... I'd have been in I'd have been in many a houses and many a folk houses visiting during the winter months and they got it hot as hell in there. So, you know, no matter what you got on, it's it's hot, it's sweaty in there. So they probably doing the same thing. They in New York, it's the middle of the winter, so they got the heat on blast and they just came in from hitting the lick. So they were sweating mean, outside too. <laughs> You know, they was outside sweating too. Hey. They said it was cold. Hey. I, look, <laughs> leave y'all I mean, look here, y'all look love here. y'all movie. You're talking about the movie and the and what you got to say on it is that everybody hot. I don't like this movie. Everybody hot. They all sweating. <laughs> I picked that one thing about the movie. <laughs> yeah. I picked that one thing. That's the first thing. That's the first thing you. Yeah, that was the first thing I noticed, and then the bad acting started. <laughs> it was just terrible. It, it DMX's acting was fantastic in that movie. Oh, I don't. I have God. no idea what you're talking about. So was especially, it the same in Romeo and Juliet by too? the end when he had become more of a Muslim and he was trying to figure out how to change his life. Stop it. It showed us such a huge contrast between how he was at the beginning of the movie and how he ended up by the end. That was a fantastic performance on his part, and it propelled him to the other roles that he was eventually able to get into. Did you see Jet Li shouting him out and talking about how much he enjoyed working with DMX? It's because he was such a fantastic performer. Just stop it, brother. Stop it. Go ahead. Keep talking, Hudson. You were saying? (laughs) I was just going to say, I mean, you know, my... You know, Jason and 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 some of the other guys that we hung with. I mean, they 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 would blast the Mets, and I think I even put a post up on Facebook, like like that was the music that was used to keep us awake on the way home. Like <laughs> like you would blast the Mets so that you know our drunk asses driving home wouldn't fall asleep <laughs> at the wheel. Roll down that window, blast some <laughs> DMX. <laughs> and boom, you was good to go all the way to the crib. So, you know, for that, I think DMX saved a lot of lives that he'll never know he saved uh, because we were pretty irresponsible back then. But, you know, I, I just felt, you know, I, I don't know how I can describe how I felt except, you know, it, it's always kind of a weird feeling when when something from your era, somebody from your era, some somebody you kind of, grew up and, and 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 watched a lot, seen a lot, 
And I mean, he's like, he's like 10 years older, older than me or, or, or whatever, but still he was, he was like right there, you know, like, like he defined freshman year because my roommate would not stop playing belly. So that's all I, I like do like whole freshman year. So it was, it was a little weird to, to see that he passed. And I really didn't know the circumstances behind it. I knew he had his issues, but I really didn't know what they were until I until he passed. Now look deeper into it. So uh, for me, it definitely hurt to see DMX pass. Uh, most of my I was introduced to DMX when I was around fourteen years old, and before that time, uh, my parents were very strict about you, no rap in the house. All I listened to was Dusty's for the most part. I think I've mentioned on the show before, my, you know, my first rap album that I had was Biggie, and that was after he had died. So I missed that whole era. And most of the artists that I really, really grew up loving, their prime had long passed or they were already dead, you know, things of that nature. So DMX was actually the first artist that, Everybody else loved at the same time that I loved him. You know, for me, for me, DMX is Pac. Like the way people talk about Tupac and, you know, kind of the pedestal they put him put him on and and the the level that they hold him up to, that's pretty much the way that I feel about DMX. And he was the first artist who I looked at and there was a part of me that like actually wanted to be like him. Like I wanted to be the rough rider standing around with all the thugs and the and the beautiful women and talking about it, lead the pack, talk about I'm the biggest dog out here on the yard and all that stuff. I loved it. Uh, rough Riders Anthem. I knew that song by heart. Every it, it didn't matter if class if it was time for class or I was supposed to leave. If that music video came on, I sat right back down and waited until it was finished. Like I really, really loved DMX. And what I especially appreciated about him is that I felt like he was one of the few uh, uh, male rap artists who showed a full range of emotion. You know, you saw those videos of him standing on stage, praying and crying, talking about how painful his life had been. He was open about a lot of his past trauma. He was open about, you know, uh, some of the reasons that propelled him towards drug abuse and caused so much trauma in his life. And you just don't see that, especially from rap artists. So many people are wrapped up in saying everything in my life is good. It's money, cash, women over here, dog. And, you know, putting on this front about how great everything was and DMX's music, his artistry, and just the way he represented himself seemed so much more grounded in realism. Like, I want to show you how things really are for me. And a lot of it is not pretty at all. And I love that. I, I love that about him because isn't that funny? Because I mean, that's the world now with with social media. Everybody mm-hmm. just want to, you know, everybody want to put on the, what what's that thing that that the that the uh, women try to put on now to to the hide. filter. I had those belly. They do the filters. They but mm-hmm. they got that little stretchy thing that they try to. You know, everybody wants to hide everything and, and make it look like their lives are, are the best ever. 
right? And to have someone out there just kind of, you know, saying it's not the best ever, you know, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and you believe them too, because a lot of people, they see folk and they think, no, he got money, you know, or she got money. They fine. You know, they talking that mess, but they good. You know, money don't buy everything. And, and, uh, when when he said it, you actually believed him. Like like you could see, like yeah, I guess you're not too good right now, brother. Right, mm. right. And I think it really highlights one of the the real differences that I see as far as how drug addiction was treated when DMX was was coming up and got real popular compared to the way drug addiction is treated now. You know, back in back in the day, being a drug addict was a source of embarrassment and shame. You didn't want to tell anybody you were addicted to to coke. You didn't want to tell anybody you were addicted to heroin. Like you were considered weak, pathetic. Even drug dealers who would talk about drug addicts in their raps, they had no respect for their customers. <laughs> you know, like they didn't hold up their customers as these great people that everybody should aspire to be. Everybody wanted to be the drug dealer. Nobody wanted to be the drug addict. Whereas now I feel like being the drug addict has been hugely popularized where you see a whole lot of artists openly talking about, hey, I'm addicted to lean. I'm addicted to whatever and 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 saying it in a way where it's supposed to be cool where this is what all the cool people are doing they're addicted to these substances and I and I feel like it's worth mentioning because I think a lot of these artists we see they're going through a lot of the pain and trauma that DMX went through and that propelled him to drug abuse they don't talk about it and they don't present it as abuse. Instead, they're just trying to say that, oh, my life is just great. And I'm doing all these drugs just because I like to party, not because of any trauma that they've experienced or because their lives are actually really messed up. You know, how, how do you feel about it? Uh, I mean, you know, people, people have always been trying to hide pain since the beginning of time. And so it's not unusual. It's not, I mean, uh, you know, I think about um, that freestyle uh, my son did um, on on Hot 97. And and when he did that freestyle, he really just kind of laid it out exactly what you're talking about is how how the whole game then just switched on his head. Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, he specifically mentioned, I mean, a big part of it was about snitching. But he specifically also mentioned how how these rappers they 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 the ones taking all the stuff. <laughs> they not even it's not even they're not even talking about selling it no more. I mean, right. And, and if you an addict, I mean, how do you feel? You going you going to buy your product from this dude, and he turning around saying, "Hey, you know, hey, you mind <laughs> if we party together?" And he <laughs> half your stuff. And you like, wait a minute, I just paid you. Is that your come up? <laughs> like, like everyone's smoky now. Everyone's mm-hmm. smoky. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, for, for those, I, I can't possibly imagine anyone who's listening to our show and don't know who Smokey is. But let me just <laughs> reference. He bought a whole bunch of product from Bitworm and pretty much used it mm-hmm. <laughs> and didn't have the money to pay Bitworm for it. Instead of selling it, he used it. Right. Mm-hmm. And. 
And it's like everybody's smoky now. And it, it, it really doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and so I can, I can, so it is kind of topsy turvy for me. It, we just grew up in different times. I don't understand it. I don't think I ever will, but I don't understand drugs, period, and using them. I, I get the concept. I get people are trying to get away, but I, it just, it doesn't compute for me. So, but, you know, well, we'll talk about, you know, things I knew about addiction and experiences I've had later on, but it just, it's not something I could ever get with. So none of it makes any sense to me. I can, I understand drugs. I don't understand using drugs that you know are just going to destroy your life. Like folks who smoke weed, whatever. Like I don't see a person smoking weed. It doesn't, it doesn't make me go, whoa, you know, what's wrong with that person? But when I hear that you're doing meth, when I hear that you're doing heroin, when I hear you're doing things where I know it, it oftentimes it changes people, like it makes them into the uh, type of people that they would never have been before. That is what I don't understand. Why would you put that into your body? Like it's not going to make your life better. It, it's just not. And, and that that's just the type of mentality that it, it's hard for me to get my head around. Jason, what are your thoughts? Well, that's the whole point of taking drugs is, is to get away from reality. It's to get away from what it is that's ailing you in the first place. There's a lot of folks out here that just can't handle reality. Uh, if it ain't somebody blowing their own head off or if it's not somebody who just, you know, throws themselves off a bridge or something like that because they feel like this world is too much for them to deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole point of taking the drug is to escape it. So in the case of most rappers and stuff who seem to make it popular nowadays, I mean, they're just they're just the culmination of that idea. Like you want to escape what this is, but at the same time, this is what makes your life. Like this is what makes you like the only reason that you have any kind of stress or you feel like you have these problems that you can't escape is because you wanted to be famous. Hmm. You wanted to have all this money. You wanted to have all this attention. You wanted to have a million Twitter followers, a thousand, 150 million damn people looking at you on Instagram. So they all straight, they, they, I'm stressed out. Oh, this is too much. And I just can't handle it. So you go sip fucking cough syrup and whatever the fuck else you decide to mix with it because you can't handle it. Mm -hmm. And DMX's case, I don't, I don't really think it was a, I don't really, I, in, in his particular type of way, I don't think it was that kind of pressure in regards to wanting to be famous or because of, you know, wanting to be high profile and that like that, because genuinely he just seemed like a person who people were going to pay attention to regardless. Mm -hmm. He might not, you know, have motherfuckers stretch. If he, if he wasn't who he was, he wouldn't have people from California stretching out and giving him attention all the way over to New York. But he seemed like the type of dude shit who would have had all New York on his back, even if he didn't make music. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there are people out here who are dealing with trauma that can be considered a little too much to bet. There are some things that go on in a person's life where they, 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 they feel like they have no choice but to escape. And when you put, when you put these types of drugs and stuff in your system, 
you you have it in your mind that you know I I can control this. I can I can quit doing this at any time. I just need to get this stress off me now. But the thing about stress is, is that shit don't stop. So why would you think the drugs would stop? Why why would you think that you could if you can't stop the stress, what makes you think you can stop taking drugs? <laughs> you know what I mean? So sometimes it's just a it's it's a, I believe it's just a situation where you just make a bad decision that just hook that just hooks right into you. It's it's just one of them things that if you if you let it get you, it could take over your life. But you know the the thing is though it's it's more or less you know like the question is more or less about when, when did it become cool? Because I don't think any more people are using drugs than they have in the past. There's always been people using drugs just like there is now. But before there was the mindset of, uh, you know, you you not you not you not cool if you using them. You you know you I mean you just like you just like a John or something. You like I mean you mm-hmm. the scum of the earth if you use it use it. But now it, it's like you the life of the party if you use it. You you the cool kid now if you use it. I mean it. Is that mm-hmm. mindset like like when did that change? That's that's the weird part about it. When everything else changed, when it when 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 it wasn't cool to have both parents in the house. We we mm. talked about this before about social norms and shit changing just on how people are like LGBTQ and black and brown folks like all this stuff is changing and the shit that was bad I mean just like everything else you have to expect everything to kind of evolve and it don't necessarily evolves into a good thing. It's, it's just the way of the world. Like everything that was bad seems to be good for some reason, even though it's still bad. All the shit that you tell motherfuckers just realized that cops kill black people and they've been doing that shit way the fuck, way, way the fuck before cameras came out, way before body cams. So, I mean, I just feel like it's just the way of the world now. It's just everything is evolving and it's not all evolving to be good. It's not all evolving to be bad. It's so it's a certain point of view at this point. So as parents, what can we do to help um, protect and arm our children to enter into these situations and hopefully, you know, for lack of a better phrase, stay away from drugs, say no to drugs and not put themselves in a situation where they're constantly struggling with those type of demons? I don't know. I can't say. I can't say how to keep them away. I could, I could probably figure out how to keep them away from big stuff. There, there are going to be things that my kids, I assume, are going to experiment with, just like I did when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. It, it took me three years to figure out I didn't like weed. But of course, like, I, I talk to people that I know now who tell me that the weed that I smoked in three years wasn't shit. You gotta drink mm-hmm. you gotta smoke this shit mm-hmm. that they got now. <laughs> I was I was basically smoking dirt <laughs> when, when I was smoking weed mm-hmm. shit back in the day. So like I guess that's probably why I felt bad. At least that's the explanation that's been given to me. Jason, Makes sense. Know, I'm, I'm gonna tell you something, Jason. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. They always say that. All the time. <laughs> Every weed smoker I have ever found always All the time. says you smoke some bad shit. You got to smoke that stuff I smoke. This, you got to smoke this I got on me right, right. now. Right, 
right. This will hit you right, brother. You see this right here? You see them little furs? You see them right there? You see them right there? You see them crystal? You see that crystal right there? I'm all right. Smell that, bro. Just smell that. Pure ain't it from the earth? Put that shit back in your pocket and go ahead and go with your code, do. I made my decision a long time ago. Yeah, but uh. I, it's like I say, like, I feel like a lot of people make the decision to switch to drugs because of, you know, situations in their lives, you know, stress. There are a lot of things in this world that I just, you know, that that sometimes is worth trying to escape. So for my kids, all I could do is show them that there are way better things that you could use as an escape other than destroying yourself. That there, there are plenty of things, there are plenty of activities, there are plenty of things that you can do outside of just, you know what I'm saying? Just, yeah, I'm going I'm to sniff this rag with this whatever chemical in it and shit and so I can just forget for the next 10 minutes and half my blood vessels, half my brain vessels and shit fuck around and just misfire and fall out my fucking nose. There's plenty of things you could do, man. It's called friends. It's called family. I mean, fuck. At the end of the day, go talk to somebody you know. And if that motherfucker's fucking around doing the drugs, you need some new friends. Hmm. Like, it's not that bad. The world is not that bad. And it's not to say that bad shit don't happen to folks. There are a lot of bad things that happen to people, especially in situations that a lot of our people are in right now. There's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of crazy shit going on out here. This motherfucker's out here selling people's bodies. It's all kind of shit going on out here. But I feel like if you can't find a better way then there's, there's nothing to it. There's, there has to be some kind of self-worth involved. They ha- we, have to, we have to teach our kids that, hey, you're worth more than what this drug can offer you. All it can do is just tear you down and make you less of what you can be or who you are. Who you are is not this drug. You, there's, there's, there's too many opportunities. There's too many good things in this world that we can look forward to without just destroying yourself. Hudson, I, I think I gotta find them another addiction. I think, uh, you know, I think you sometimes you gotta fight fire with fire. So I, I gotta get them <laughs> on coffee, <laughs> uh, sugar, <laughs> something. To, <laughs> you know, some fast food. I don't know. Something is equally as addictive <laughs> to counteract <laughs> some of this other stuff. You know, what it comes down to is, is I, I think you know, part of it, a lot of it, is an addictive personality. And, and, um, you know, I mean, like Jason said, it's going to be hard to stop anyone from, from experimenting with something. So you only got to hope that, you know, before it takes hold that they sit and they go, "Eh, yeah, I don't need to, you know, I don't need to do that. You know, because Mm -hmm. I, I think about like, like me and soda, right? Like, I'll stop soda cold turkey, right? And and let's say I wait a couple months to drink a soda again. That soda tastes weird. It tastes mm-hmm. weird. Doesn't even taste good. But guess what? For some reason, I'll get another one <laughs> and drink it again. You know, and I'll drink it again until it tastes good again, right? And and I feel like it. I feel like in there. Uh, you know, we all have an addictive personality to something, but some people just got it like really bad. 
where they they just become addicted to to anything that they halfway like. They're just you know mm-hmm. they got to go in all in on it, and and you know it's going to be hard to counteract something like that. You know, and I really don't know. All I can do is, is just try to put the information out there. You know, it's best I can't try to hide it. I can't try to cover it up. I, I just have to put the information out there, and and they're going to ultimately have to make a choice. So I got to hope that the information I gave them was convincing enough. Is right. what I think. Yeah, yeah. I th- think I pretty much agree with a mixture of that. You know, first and foremost, for my daughter, I want to make sure she has a strong sense of self worth. Uh, I hope that. I'm raising a person who, when they come of age, will see that um, you have a bright future ahead of you. You are talented. You are beautiful. And no matter what trauma you experience, no matter what you go through, you are going to be equipped with the tools to be able to come out of the other side. So you don't have to to succumb. You don't have to succumb to your pain. But I, I think it's also important for every person to understand their own personal strengths and weaknesses. I am fully aware that I have an addictive personality. I do very, very strongly. And I have to be careful about what I expose myself to because I am absolutely the type of person who would spiral, you know, and I was lucky enough where I realized that early and early on made a decision. Okay. You're not the type of person who could do drugs. You know, I've read stories before about, you know, some people can do heroin, set it down and never do it again. (laughs) You know, do very, very hard, supposedly addicting drugs, but just doesn't do nothing to them. They can walk away from it. No problem. I know I'm not that type of person. Like if I if I tried it and it felt good, I wouldn't be able to stop it. It probably destroy destroy my whole life. And so I, I think I'm glad that I did not give you that crack when I first met you. <laughs> and say, nice to meet you. Would you like some of this crack? Right? I did not do that. I appreciate you, Hudson. Good looking out. Good looking out. <laughs> That's a good point so, you make doing that too, some more hmm. when you say like this like there's trauma and there's things that happen in people's lives where they just don't know how to they don't know how to express themselves or they don't know how to they don't know how to get that emotion out right. in a healthy manner. I think that's mm-hmm. a big thing, too, because I, I experienced that. I experienced that after my father passed. Mm-hmm. I, I spent a, a great many years with guilt that, honestly, I didn't figure out that I shouldn't have carried with me at all. I shouldn't have. Like So there's, there's a lot that people put on themselves that they really don't have to either. And it sucks because sometimes it it either takes a while in order to figure that out. Or for me, it was actually just talking to my mother. That's what was crazy. Like I, I, after my father died, I never really had a conversation with my mom because I honestly had put her in a category of being angry at her and talking to her. There was no reason for me to do it. You know what I mean? It's like I was angry about her for no particular reason at all. Like mm-hmm. it was a lot of shit that went on and stuff like after it happened and stuff. And I, I, I took exception to things and I felt like I was jilted in certain ways and I felt like I wasn't advised or asked questions about stuff and things like that. So like I, I had a lot of guilt and anger and stuff that I put on myself mm-hmm. that I really didn't need to. And a lot of people do that, that we put so much on ourselves 
and we say that it's the world that's doing it or that there's stress and one that is doing it. When a lot of us, all we need to do really do is just look at ourselves and say, Hey, why am I carrying this baggage? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Do I, do I really need to be walking with this big dumb ass suitcase full of shit that I really ain't good for me? And sometimes it's just about making a decision. But, you know, I mean, that's why they say youth is wasted on the young, right? I mean, it, it, it's how how many times can you say that to a young person, but they just won't, it won't click for them. Yeah. You know, I, I think how many times I tell my five-year-old daily certain things that I tell her <laughs> daily, <laughs> hourly, okay? <laughs> it's just not going to click until it clicks. And that's the tough part when you're dealing with young people. How do you how do you get it to click for them? Right. Right. Exactly. And so, you know, that's my biggest fear. To be honest with you, I feel to some degree to make it into um, adulthood with, and, and come out, you know, out, out of your teens and out of college without some sort of major drug addiction or trauma that you're struggling to deal with. I feel like to some degree it's luck. You know, you can give a person a fantastic foundation. They can have two parents in the house. They can come from a middle class background. Samora, you sound like you just you sound like you just (laughs) set that bar real low. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, hey, I did my job. Hey, I did my job, girl. It's all you from here on out. All right. Daddy got you to college. You graduated. You're not addicted to drugs. You don't have a baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's all you from here on out. All right. (laughs) Don't say that I didn't set you up for success. (laughs) I was just not going to that first college party. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, you know, I, I, I feel like no matter what, as a parent, it's just, you you could sometimes all you can do is pray, pray and hope that your child makes you know the right decision or at least the decision that's going to be best for themselves personally. Um, so you know, speaking of that, it's not just of course your child who can end up being someone wrestling with drugs. You could also have a brother or a cousin or uncle who is also someone addicted to drugs and someone who wants to be around you um, and who you love very dearly, but at the same time, you're trying to raise a child, you know? So how do you feel like you deal with your children being around somebody who is drug addicted? And Hudson, I'll start with you. Um, you know, the kids are going to notice that there's something different about that person you know, if they're if they're like in a in a in an advanced state, I will say, you know, um, I mean, it, it's really tough. You know, it, it you can't keep them can't keep them from everybody. You know, it, I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, I see Jason's look on his face, but you know, they're not gonna go everywhere with you, right? They're not gonna go everywhere with you. So so. You know, the fact is, I, if it's going to happen, I'd rather it at least happen sometimes while it's with me so I can have, again, so I can have that conversation and have that opportunity to address it. Because if not, it's going to happen without me. They're going to see something without me. Now, I don't know how they're going to interpret it. 
I don't know how they're going to interpret it. I can try to predict it based on everything I've tried to teach them up until that point, but I, I want to be there to have that talk. And it's not like they're going to come home for the most part and tell me, oh, yeah, I saw Uncle so-and-so. Yeah, he was, he was drunk out of his mind or he was high as I don't know what. They're, they're, they're likely not going to say a word. And they're going to talk to their cousins or, or their friends or whoever they was around when they saw it. And and they're going to discuss it with them. Well, what are they going to talk about? Now they're talking about it with kids I didn't raise. <laughs> so I can't I can't say what they're going to be telling them. Right. right. So so I, I almost again, how much do I how much can I hide her from it and how much would I want to? You know, to a certain extent, I don't I don't want her there while they're specifically shooting up. You know, I don't I don't you know. Uh, yeah, I got to draw the line there. But but, you know, Would being be around, the only line? you know, <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, you know, I feel like it takes away the chance to have an open dialogue. If I could any dialogue I have would always be in generality, in, in general terms. And, and things, you know, it would give me an opportunity to say specifically, you know, and, and try to give specifics as opposed to always in general. I think general talks are good, but I just don't think they have the effect for parents that we think they have. Mm-hmm. I, I still think a lot of it is still based off the child's going to do what the child's going to do. Right. Uh, so. It's hard to explain that in, in, from where my mind is coming from, but I think the, the the more they see while you're there, the better because you can can kind of set the tone and kind of paint the picture for them, while especially while it's fresh in their minds. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's difficult, right? Growing up, um, I had an uncle who, you know, as a kid. I didn't know that drugs were the problem, but I knew that he had a degree. He was great with computers. He could do computer programming, and yet he still didn't have a job and didn't have very much money. And I knew my father could do all those things and that he was a had a job, was able to take care of himself, no problem. So as a kid, I was like, okay, something's broken. I didn't understand really the concept of drug addiction, Um, But but I understood like there was a problem somewhere there. He lived with my grandmother. My mother would take me over to my grandmother's house all the time. So I was around him all the time. But I was never I never really felt exposed to the addiction. So it was never a problem. You know, I don't look back on it and say that portion of it was a mistake. But later, my grandmother died and he needed a place to stay for a while. He came to stay with my mother when I had already moved out the house. And I could see how my relationship and the way I view my uncle didn't really change. I was I, I had a lot of love for him, respect for him, and that maintained up until he died. But my brothers, who were then with him every day, and of course, he didn't necessarily stop using. So they saw a whole different side of him, not not violent or anything that, you know, necessarily came towards them, but they would see, you know, the head nodding, the, the, the completely out of it, the after effects of him using, and it definitely damaged the relationship. 
you know, and so I, I feel like even even from that standpoint, it can it could just be negative for everybody involved to have someone who is drug addicted regularly around your children. And I don't know, I feel, I feel like even if you love that individual, it kind of just has to be avoided at all cost, at all cost. Jason, how do you feel? Uh, I personally, I've never just been able to hang around that type of shit. Even when I was younger, uh, mm-hmm. I noticed things. I guess when I was a kid, like I, I didn't notice, or at least I didn't have clear definitions of anybody who was just on drugs or anything like that. But I knew when somebody was acting weird to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go someplace else. And I've been like that my whole life. Like, literally, I'll be sitting in the conversation with the two of y'all and a motherfucker walk up and I leave. I don't want to do this shit. I'm not really that. Or y'all, the motherfucker come in and start having a conversation and I will totally evacuate myself where I'm just like, I'm out of whatever the fuck this is. I'm not with it. And it's, I'm just like that about whatever the situation is. If I feel like I'm uncomfortable in something, or if it's something that I don't want around me, I don't let it be around me. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I don't. I don't allow shit like that in my home. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't take my kids into situations where they would be around that type of shit. And it's not because I'm trying to shield them from anything. It's just that I don't want to be around it, and I don't want anybody I know or love to be around that shit. I wouldn't take none of y'all into none of that shit. Like, hey. Fellas, let's go over here. I know Uncle Bob down in the basement fucking around be shooting up from time. No, I don't I don't put myself in situations like that. And I feel like I, I try to teach my kids that you don't have to be in a situation just because either somebody else dictates it to you or you know, it it it's not it's it you have total control of yourself. You can put yourself in a different situation. If you don't want to be here, go over there. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole thing. It's like, don't feel like you obligated to have to stay around that shit. And I can really give a fuck who it was. I can care if it's my uncle, my daddy, my cousin. No, if, if I don't want it around me, because I, I don't want to sit and I don't really want to understand it. That's one thing. I It's one of them things that I feel like I don't really need to, I have to learn about. It's not one of the things that I, that's ever going to come up that Uncle Joe, uh, he, he homeless now, he needs some place to stay. Well, good luck, Uncle Joe, because... You're not doing that shit in my house. <laughs> so you're going to have to figure that shit out somewhere the fuck else. I'm sorry. That's just the way I am. I, I don't, I feel like I grew up a long time ago and I feel like I have an obligation to myself to keep myself free of certain things. And I like to teach my kids the same way. It's like, you don't, you don't have to be put in a way because somebody else tells you you have to, or because somebody walks into the room, you can leave the room. It's Okay. It's nothing that you have to sit here and learn. You don't have to get any. You can recognize it, take it for what it is, and move on. Right. I don't have to sit here and I got to figure out what what the circumstances behind it is or, oh, I wonder why he like that. I wonder what made him do that. I, I could give a good shit. That's his life. Then the choices that he made, and that's what this is where he is now, or her, whatever the case may be, this is where they are now. Good luck. I'm going over here. 
Yeah, see, for me, I always want to know where does that pain come from? So I did end up having a conversation with my uncle asking, like, you know, why? Why couldn't he let it go? And he's and, you know, this is going back to just luck. Right. He, he said as a he had experience as a very young child where a guy basically threatened to kill him. He put a gun in his face and, you know, said I forgot what he said the situation was, but he basically threatened to, you know, blow his head off. And um, the guy had decided to walk away in the end. But my uncle said he remembers looking into that barrel. He remembers like he's still right there. The, the, the feeling that he was about to lose his life. And it made him it basically made him feel like, what is the point of any of this? I might die tomorrow. Somebody might come take me away um, the very next day. What is the point of fighting for more, struggling for more, doing more. And it made it just for him, it just made it impossible for him to kick, kick his addiction. So it's like, it's not the way he was raised. It's not something that happened in the house. It's not something that, you know, his, his family went wrong or did to him. It was just a, a bad break that he couldn't handle. You know, what do you do? What do you do? You know, I, I remember, and and Jason, you probably remember this situation too. And, and this is and this is what what one of my fears is, right? Is that my kids get older and they end up in a situation and they don't know what the hell's going on and thus don't know how to handle it, right? So me and Jason were doing a show and and we're backstage and this guy just started talking crazy to us, right? We, we were doing some stuff. Guy just started totally going nuts, talking crazy. And we smelled him. And, and I, I think, Jason, you were the first to, to say right away, I think that's Sherm, right? And, mm-hmm. and we're both like, yeah, that's what that smell is. Yeah. And, and he was totally going nuts, right? Now, being, uh, being where I grew up and, and what I had already experienced, been around, you know, I mean, it, it, there was no, there was no, what the hell's going on? There was no, there was no panic. There was no, you know, I kept myself calm throughout the situation. But when I look around and think about all those kids that were around there, because that show was mm-hmm. full of kids. Uh, really, it was it was a dance troupe. It was a bunch of it was a bunch of kids from from a dance program that were involved with the show. There was tons of them back there. We're moving around big, heavy, big, heavy sets and things like that. You know, there's no way I would have wanted to walk away and leave that dude there with all those kids the way it was. And and the situation turned out where he, he just ended up after all that. He got spooked and then just left <laughs> mm-hmm. right out of nowhere. He did all that and he just left. And you could look on the kid's face. They have no clue what the hell is even going on or what's mm-hmm. even happening. Right. And and I mean, I don't you know, it when, when we say, you know, we just don't we just don't try to put them in the situation. Yeah, you don't try to put them in the situation. But, you know, it's like like I said, they're going to end up somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, and something and something's going to introduce itself to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And so how do we find that line where we can where we can 
help them just enough to understand of what they need to do in certain situations and how they need to approach it versus they just never been around it. <laughs> and, and, and they're just shocked. They might even panic. Don't know what the, you know, because uh, if it was somebody other than me and Jason, uh, I mean, there may have been a huge fight back there. It could have been. Mm-hmm. And luckily it was me and Jason. We recognized the situation for what it was <laughs> and we kept cool. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if it was other people, it could have been a rumble back there. Mm-hmm. I would have left, but I was working. <laughs> Typical Jason. <laughs> oh, one of these motherfuckers. Okay. Let <laughs> me me going in here somewhere. <laughs> so, final question. Um, any advice for someone who is struggling with a drug addicted person that they love? I know Jason, Jason's response is don't let him in your house. Forget about them. <laughs> if they get their stuff together, <laughs> maybe we can talk again. I, mean, I, I get it. I get the want. I get to understand. I mean, it's somebody that you care about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's somebody close. I'm lucky enough that I've never had this situation in my life, so I've never had to really go through it. But I get it. I really do. I get the fact that you got somebody you care about, and you're watching them basically self-destruct right in front of your eyes. I get that there's something that you want to do. I get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the most, the only thing you really can do is show support. But the problem with your support is, is most of the time it enables whatever the vice is that person has. You know what I mean? The more you're trying to help, it just seems to be kind of making it all worse in certain situations as opposed to just fucking around and throwing somebody in some handcuffs or a straitjacket and throw them into a rehab or something like that, which I don't, I don't think that's legal. I think that's like kidnapping (laughs) at one point. So I don't know how that works. Mm -hmm. So I get, I get the want to try and help somebody that you care mostly about. You don't, you don't want to see somebody that you don't want to see your kid or you don't want to see your mother, your father, brother, sister, something like that just totally flush their fucking life down the drain and shit. But at the end of the day, it almost seems like it, 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 it has to be their decision. You know what I mean? It's the only way it'll work. It's the only thing that, that you can do. Like you can sit and you can talk at it all day long. You can talk, 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 but until something in them click, like it, it doesn't seem like there's much that'll happen. But like I say, I don't have a lot of experience with it, so I'll say that I, I'm definitely no authority on this. Not that I'm an authority of anything else, but I mean, you, you care about those, and the best you can do is pray for them. If there's things that you can do that won't enable or won't, you know, say perpetuate what the problem is, I say do that. Uh, support as opposed to doing for someone is two totally different things. That's one thing that I've seen people do is like when you do for somebody and shit, like you're not helping them. You're not helping them at all. Somehow whether they got to get their hands dirty and they got to figure out how to do this on their own. Cause you're not going to always be there. You really aren't. You, you can love and support all day long, but just like Hudson saying shit, sometimes you're going to end up by your damn self. And then what happens? You just go relapse and just go back to the old shit because you couldn't handle it. Cause I mean, that's, that's the issue. It's about, 
figuring out how to handle whatever it is that's got you doing this shit. What is, what drove you to this and how can you handle it better than taking this damn truck? Because this drug ain't making nothing better. It's not the answer. You might be able to forget it for a minute, but as soon as that shit wear off, you out here struggling for the new damn drug, which creates even more problems that you shouldn't even be able to real to deal with. So you didn't even forgot what the whole reason for jumping on this shit was because you done compounded all these other problems. So it's, it, I feel like it's about coming to terms with a lot of things. And I don't know if that's possible for drug addicted people. I've seen drug addicted people who've gone into rehab and gotten their minds cleared and had good therapy and have been able to work things out and who have been able to, to live, you know, normal lives and stuff. I think that's a good thing that, you know, that they, they have the opportunity to have their mind cleared. I think that's always like the first thing you got to get that drug out of you. So you can just think clearly at some mm-hmm. point in time. Detox. You know what I mean? Cause you can't, you can't make a good decision when you want that shit. You just can't. It's impossible because the drug at this point now is your reasoning. It's your conscience. It's what's talking yeah. to you. It's telling you, Hey, we need to go over in this corner. We need to smoke me. Cause this shit is bullshit. We don't want to do this shit. Until you get that voice out your head, ain't nothing happening. Yeah. I don't know. To me, um, when when you're considering something like that, especially if you're deciding whether or not you're going to bring that kind of person around you, of course, first and foremost, you have to think about what's best for your children. Right. And you can't be you can't have any regrets or misgivings about putting them first. It just absolutely has to be done because as a parent, they're depending upon you. And then the next question has to be, yes, yes, this person that you love is drug addicted, but what kind of drug addict are you? And I think there's a lot of stereotypes about people who are drug addicted, like they're all violent or they're all going to break out and do horrible things to you. And that's not really true, right? So I think it's important to know who you're dealing with, like going back to my uncle, never felt afraid around him, never had a situation where, you know, felt like he was going to do harm to me or my brothers, never had a situation where I felt like he was trying to introduce me to what he was addicted to or expose us to those drugs. Never, not once. Whereas there were other people who if you bring them into your home, a couple of months later, one of your children is going to be drug addicted, right? Because people are grimy and misery loves company. And so they'll say, hey, this is a great time. You should try this as well. Not giving a damn about the well-being of your child, right? So you have to, you, you have to consider and really, really be truthful about the type of person that you're dealing with because just, just because you have a great time around that person and you love that person doesn't mean it's a good person to be around your kids. And it certainly doesn't mean it's a good person to be in your house. You know, so th- that would be the main thing. And I would say, be honest, be prepared to be honest about who this individual truly is. Hudson, anything you want to say? I mean, uh, I, to be honest with myself, I wouldn't have the time and the and the and the uh energy and be able to to make the commitment to to help individual in that situation. 
you know, the most I could do is drive you drive you to the nearest clinic, you know, the the nearest rehab. That's all I could do. Like I, you know, the 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 amount of attention you have to you have to put into helping someone get get clean is 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 just it's astronomical. Mm-hmm. You know, I I would nearly have to take myself away completely from my family to do that. So there. It's not really, I mean, as far as, as far as having them in my home in any kind of way, absolutely. That's a, that's a, nah, I can't do that. <laughs> um, you know, and, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know, man, it's, it's not really much, you know, all I can do is try to, is try to have, have some places for them to go, have some people that I know dealing that kind of thing to, to really kind of help them through. But I mean, most of us have to be honest with ourselves. We got full lives, we got mm-hmm. full lives into, and, and we're talking about something that's more than a full time job to help somebody get clean. So uh, it's not like in new jet city where he just sat with them for, 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 <laughs> for a month straight. <laughs> And sat there in the room. It just don't work that way. Which one of us has time to sit with somebody for a month straight? We can't. Right. So, New Jack City was another stupid movie. I just want to throw that in there. I'm sorry. Holy shit, bro! I can't believe you just said that publicly. Jason, I just I just watched that movie recently. It was fucking terrible. I'm sorry. Jason, if you haven't seen New Jack City today, you you should go back and look are. at it. And you can see how stupid it was. Wow! If you had any fans on this show, they all just jumped off ship. They how many? If it, just that scene that Hudson just stated was the fact he sat with the boy and he watched him get clean, took him to rehab and everything else. And the first thing they did when he got clean was have him fuck around and snitch off in a fucking drug clinic or drug ha- in a drug house or the project or this entire project that these niggas stole. I, the whole concept of the movie was dumb, and every cop in that movie was terrible. I mean, anyway, Bruh. have you? Well, okay, wait, wait. First off, mm. first off, I, I I lived in a project building where mm-hmm. the, where the drug dealers pretty much took over the whole building. Mm-hmm. They threw you. Okay. They threw you out your apartment. Yeah. <laughs> they, they kicked in your door and threw you out and, and put a drug lab in your in your in your kitchen and shit. Is that what they did? Because that's what they did in New Jack City. Dude. And they made the courtway where all the drug, all the druggies hung out and just smoked dope and shit all day. That, mm. that, that you kicked me out of my apartment, and nobody went to the cops, and the cops didn't come and do nothing. They had they had to get a snitch in there to find out what was going on in order to get into this place. There is a reason that eventually the cops decided we are going to put a whole entire police station in the in the basement floor. Of the of the project building, there is a reason that they had to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, it's because so, New Jack and City, and they they came in and they kicked people out of their apartments <laughs> and turned their apartments into drug labs. That's that's Look, what happened. Regardless of the believability of that scene, it was horrible. New Jack City was a fantastic. <laughs> it most movie. certainly was not. My brother's keeper scene alone made that even a classic. Westless snipes. Wesley Snipes' performance, fantastic. You are bugging right now. And here's the second point. Here's the second point. Talk about the cops were stupid in that movie. Mm -hmm. Are you not seeing what's going on with cops? 
Come in on the world now. today. Come on. Uh, so you are, saying are we gonna pretend these but, cops aren't? But they was new the jet cops. Anyway. They was black yeah. cops. They was all new jet cops. That was the whole point. There's they was black cops. Of we, we the black answer. That's what we are. Right now. So, Jason, so what you're saying is, is they was realistic. That's what you're saying. Jason, I'm saying stuff like that is happening. Absolutely. From now on, I'm gonna need you to get a full night's rest before we start up these conversations. Amen. Because clearly, you have sleep and bugging right now. And we need you at full strength when we're doing this podcast. Thank you very much, sir. You can ask my wife. Thank we you. sat here and I, I picked apart New Jack City from beginning to end. That was a dumbass <laughs> movie. It really was. It was terrible. <laughs> it was quite horrible. Look, New Jack City, Belly, Boys in the Hood, Minister Society. There are some movies in the pantheon of uh, uh, Baby Boy. There are some movies in the pantheon of Did you just say Black Baby Cinema. Boy? Yeah, John Singleton, oh. Tyrese. Yeah, absolutely. There are some movies in the pantheon of black cinema that I just have a solidified classic status. At least and when you, you run around here, category. I appreciate when you that run much. around here, all right, as a as a as a black man raising black children, trying to tear down these movies, it's just it's a terrible look, brother. It's a terrible look. So, it makes me it makes me wonder what kind of what kind of so movies as, are as you a, holding up a, for them. As a as black man with cinema, children, okay. As a black man with children, Samari, <laughs> let me ask. Let me ask. Let riddle me this: <laughs> When will you be sitting down with Simone yep. and watching New Jack City? Uh, probably or, around or Baby Boy or Minister Society. Well, pretty sure my father took us to see Baby Boy in theaters when it came this out. Your, this your father, dude. That don't count. <laughs> That's your pop. This don't count, dude. That don't count. You talking about the doing... same man? You talking about the same man was ready to go out and have some white people and shit because they said nigga to you while you was a little kid out on the street. It's your pops, dog. Your pops is totally built different than anybody I've ever met in my life. So he can pass on all that. <laughs> well, well let me doing... say that my dad didn't 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 go and say, "Hey, go watch the movie." But he was certainly there while I was watching it and didn't you know didn't bat an eye. I mean, he did. There we go. So, I mean. <laughs> and I'm doing everything in my power to proudly follow in my father's footsteps. Well, let me, so let me I ask pray. you this thing. Riddle me this. <laughs> what was your father's thoughts on the movie? Which one? Any of them. Because they were all dumb to me. <laughs> Any of them. I've never, I've never talked to him about Baby Boy. He, I, I'm sorry. I never talked to him about New Jack City. Mm-hmm. He actually had us watch uh, uh, Boys in the Hood. Mm-hmm. And Minister Society, because my father was acutely aware that, of course, we were being homeschooled, which means we weren't exposed to many black people outside of our family. And my father wanted to make sure we were comfortable with black people and black culture before he pretty much let us out into the world. And so he used movies as a way to try to help familiarize us with the kind of people we'd be meeting and experiencing. You know, that explains he absolutely. A lot. He absolutely loved Baby Boy that and was a huge fan of the way Ving Rains played his character in the movie. So, that explains a great deal of things to me. Because when I met you, <laughs> when I met you, I remember you watched us for a little while. You was kind sure of did. distant. Sure you, did. You, you peeped <laughs> us. 
That whole time you was watching us, were you looking for us to be on some boys in the hood shit? Well, I was assessing. I was assessing and comparing. Like, okay, how does this match up with what I thought this would be like? <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, wow. Yes, sir. <laughs> Your first introduction was boys in the hood. I had gone yep. up to that college and see what them niggas is all about. <laughs> and the first ones you ran into was us. <laughs> wow. Yep. I wow. got the hookup, so, Boys the in Hood, Medicine Society. That was pretty much my When we talk wow. about Baby Boy, when we talk about New Jack City, we, we're talking about movies who who came up with, who who came out and, and talked about things and put things in movies that, that unlike we had ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Right? New Jack City did it. New Jack City went completely raw with it. Right. You know, Baby boy, when you know, baby boy talked about issues, uh, deep issues with, with, hmm. with, with regards of how boys act towards their mothers and things like that. I mean, they went with deep issues in there that that was previously not really discussed in cinema, and and it's it's stuff that you that a lot of people deal with in in a in certain parts of the country that just right. were not represented at all. Mm-hmm. I give you the whole baby boy concept about the um, the mothers and and son shit. I give you that one. I give you that because John Singleton actually seemed like he put a little bit of thought into his scripts. Uh huh. New Jack City. I think Ice T wrote that shit, <laughs> and it showed because even the his, record. even his range of acting. Oh. I'm not even about to start being on for, ST. For the record, honestly, when my father showed, uh, talked about Boys in the Hood and Menace to Society, it was more so educational. Like, I want you to understand what the hood is like, even though I'm not going to allow you to be exposed to it. When he showed us New Jack City, it seemed more entertainment value. So he didn't say like, yo, this is what it's really like <laughs> for black people <laughs> right now. But he still felt like it was something that we should definitely see. Well, you know, the difference is, is the other ones, you're still in neighborhoods. You're still mm-hmm. in where there's where there's homes. You're, you're still in right. places where people actually own their cribs, possibly, mm-hmm. even though it might be a little bit, you know, uh, uh, economically not as well off as other places. There, you still have that. When you talk about New Jack City, the stuff might look outrageous to you. It don't to me. Right. <laughs> it don't to me. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely nuts what would go on in project buildings. It's mm-hmm. absolutely nuts. And they're there 24-7. Those places don't sleep. Right. So so when Jason talk about they, they don't take away, they kick you out your home, you got to understand. In these apartment buildings, in the projects, the drug dealers live there. So when somebody else is trying to move in, do you think they go to that drug dealer and say, I'm going to need you to go now so that I can set up shop? No. (laughs) They they forcibly get them out. So, yes, they are kicking people out of their homes. There are subtle differences. I understand (laughs) the project mentality. I didn't go to a lot of projects. But I get they it. said, I don't think you can fight Hudson all held, They held down floors. I get that. <laughs> There's most of the motherfuckers that lived in most of these apartments and shit, the drug dealers had them addicted to the drugs. So they fucked around and they used their homes and shit in the first place. I watched New Jack City two days ago. And motherfuckers <laughs> was literally sitting in their apartments feeding their babies. 
Motherfucker <laughs> came in, shot their husband, shot his husband, shot a husband, kicked her and the baby out. <laughs> no, dog. That that was not <laughs> happening in the projects. Drug dealers have kids too, brother. <laughs> you, you gotta, hey, what you're saying is the scene in the movie I'm talking about, the drug dealer came in and shot the boyfriend or the baby mama. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I, no, the movie was dumb, dog. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, crazy shit happens there. And you know what? I think we're going to have to have a New Jack City review uh, episode where we go back through a couple of these old movies and compare our perspectives on it. Because you know what? I don't know if, they, if Hunter has seen it recently. So we need to go off of a recent watch. And then we Seriously, dude. If you haven't watched it recently, a couple, a couple months ago. See that? See, okay. I'm sorry we got off subject, folks, but I'm glad we all vaccinated now so we can sit together and watch these movies. Okay, we need to pick this shit apart together, not separately, because I need to show you where stupid is at the exact moment I see it. Okay? So that's, that's, I am perfectly happy we're doing a review. Whatever movie that y'all want to do, that's great. Let's do it. The problem is, Jason, is that we can sit and watch it all day. I lived in the projects for years. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm just going to say a lot of crazy shit happens there. Okay. That that will, that does not happen out necessarily in different neighborhoods. Have different types of crazy shit that happens. So when we watch you the got movie, them all in a close enclosed area. So when we watch the movie, and I point out something I think is stupid. I want you to correct me and say this happened in the projects. <laughs> That's what I want. That's what I want to happen. If you say, Jason, that happened in the projects, I will shut my mouth and I will apologize after the fact. And we will well, move on. He just on told that you that drug dealers got kicked out their homes and you didn't accept that. I don't yeah, see right. why you didn't. Drug dealers. You to know drug dealers. We, I, I told him I accepted a floor. <laughs> I accept floors. I've seen the floors. And when they when they occupy drug addicts' apartments, I I know that. I'm talking about a family. The motherfuckers look like they literally got off work, picked their kid up from work. Her mom was sitting there feeding the baby, and my man came in and shot shot the husband. He fell on the table, and then he kicked mom and they, they kicked the baby and the mother out. That happened in the projects. So so let me ask you something. Let me ask you something, Jason. Go ahead. Real quick. Go ahead. Because you just acknowledged that they take floors. So okay. how do you think? How do you think they got? You think that whole floor didn't have one family in it that they? <laughs> you, you think that whole floor was already previously occupied with all drug dealers? Just waiting. Well, it's for just them. like you said, like the drug dealers had their apartments. You got the motherfuckers who own drugs in some of their apartments. The majority of which are on the floor. How many the apartments are on the floor of a project? <laughs> you, you, you're saying it like they're only like. Like there are twenty thousand apartments on one floor, literally on the floor of an apartment building. There what? In a project building, there what? Like ten apartments? Not even that, that many. That, that's a that's a good amount of apartments on floor, brother. I, I mean, get it, and then some of them aren't even occupied. In, in ten apartments, you don't think there was a, a regular Joe family? That, <laughs> that I, I really don't. I don't. I don't was, think that happened. I don't think the, motherfuckers kicked in the family's door, shot a motherfucker, and they kicked the baby and the mother out. I don't believe it. I don't. I don't believe it. But you're saying it happened. I don't know what help you think people would get in the projects. 
I, I don't know what help you think they got. Uh, again, they had to put a whole police station in there. There's a reason they had to put a whole police. Police didn't want to come. Police didn't want to come. They only came long after shit happened. Long after shit happened. Hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there. do you know how bad the record keeping was in those places? Hell, some of those people who got kicked out, man, I even was supposed to even be in that home to begin with. Records were poorly kept. Okay, so people were living in places that they weren't supposed to be in in the first place. Mm -hmm. It's so so again, when I tell you crazy shit happens, you you can't look at it from a standpoint of if if A was done completely right, B was done completely right. Like we went all the way from A to Y completely right. So Z couldn't happen. No, A through Y wasn't correct either. There's okay. tons of crazy shit that happened along the way. Okay. So, so it's not like so it's not like anything there made that much sense. You have more experience than I do on it, sir. So I can see. And finally, I still think it was stupid. We have, we have, oh, we, can, can, we can watch the movie, and I can point out way more. I promise you, I can. So no problem. I can it's see still, to the project life that I don't know about. Back to his original point. But the movie <laughs> sucked. It did. It just did. I will, we, we're going to have to review it. We will point. do so. But yes, sir. Let's end it there. Uh, one more time, <laughs> I want to say rest in peace to DMX. He cannot be replaced. He will definitely be missed. And hopefully at some point, we as a community are going to figure out how to stem the tide of all these brothers and sisters who are succumbing to drug addiction. On that note, I want to thank all of you for joining us here at SJH Man Cave. We appreciate you spending time with us today. Remember that you can hear this and other episodes on all your major podcast platforms. We're on YouTube at SJH Man Cave. Once you're there, please hit that subscribe button, like, and leave a comment. You can also like, share, and follow us on Facebook at SJH Podcast Family and at SJH Man Cave. I would like to thank my two fellow podcasters, Jason and Hudson, for keeping it real. Until next time, this is your host, Samori. Signing off.